Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. The two last major events of the NFL calendar, until free agency opens, have occurred. The NFL Honors and the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about one of those things, and we're only kind of tangentially going to talk about the other. That's right, we're going to talk about the NFL honors, and specifically the narrative that's been going around about Lamar Jackson winning the MVP. If you will recall, a couple weeks ago, I said, I think Lamar is going to win it. I think it's the first year that QB Stu is not going to accurately predict the winner of the NFL MVP, and if I had a vote, it would go to Brock Purdy. I said that. I was very clear about it. I think Purdy had a historically efficient season, and if you would like to loop in team accomplishments, the team accomplishments were just as significant during the regular season for them as they were for the Ravens. But I likely would have been the recipient of the same type of backlash that Aaron Schatz got when he was the only MVP voter who did not vote for Lamar Jackson. But overwhelmingly, what I took away from the conversation and the narrative around Lamar Jackson and the MVP is that MVP voters, like fans overall, think wins are a quarterback stat. And we probably should have known this going in. We've talked about on this pod before that expectations minus reality equals disappointment. It's a fundamental tenet, a brucism by which I live my life. But there is an extension of that philosophical tenet. And the extension is, where do the expectations come from? The expectations of something else come from the assumptions that we make. So if we would like to correctly handle disappointment, then that comes from correctly setting expectations. And correctly setting expectations comes from monitoring and adjusting our own assumptions. When it comes to things like MVP voters expectations minus reality equals disappointment and your expectations for human are set by your assumption of character which means we have to know what's in character in order for us to know what's out of character 
When you say that about something, oh man, that was weird. That was out of character for them. Well, the implication that you're making is you understand what set of behaviors constitute that person's character. When someone makes a decision, you think, well, that's weird. It's only weird because you have defined previously what you believe to be normal. And the outlier from normal is something you call weird. So I was not surprised at all. There were people who were really disappointed by what they saw from the MVP voters. And my question to them is, why? Why were you disappointed? We've already established what it is exactly that MVP voters think previously. We know that they believe wins are a quarterback stat. What behavior does my wife do that's out of character? It's only able to be identified by the fact that I know what my wife is like. I know what my wife's character is like. I've known her for a long time. I know her very, very intrinsically on a fundamental level. So when she behaves in a way that is outside character, I recognize it because I know what's in character. If we knew what was in character and on brand, if we want to be a little bit more hip and young with it, we're going to say, what's their brand? What's on brand for MVP voters? If we knew what was on brand for MVP voters, we wouldn't be surprised by what we saw because we wouldn't think it's out of character. I make the argument right now that what we saw from the MVP voters is not out of character and is completely within character. There were people talking about, well, you know, Lamar Jackson, you know, statistically, this is an outlier. If you're looking at those statistics, yes, but the MVP voters are not looking at the statistics. You know, an even better predictor of QB MVPs than Stu is just do you quarterback the team who had the best record in your conference? Right away, you can narrow it down to two just by doing that. 2023, Lamar Jackson, best record in the conference for the Ravens. Here are the other quarterbacks who quarterbacked the team that had the best record in their conference and won MVP. 2022, Mahomes, 2021, Rodgers, 2020, Rodgers, 2019, Jackson, 2018, Mahomes, 2017, Brady, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. I would consider that a pattern. If three games is a trend, what is seven years? I'd say it's a fairly notable pattern. Do you quarterback the team that has the best record in your conference? Yes? Cool. You got a shot. Here's what we care about, right? We care about production. Here's what they care about. In this order, wins. Wins against other MVP candidates because not only do they think that wins are a quarterback stat, they think that wins are a quarterback stat head-to-head. If Brock Purdy's team would have beaten Lamar Jackson's team late in the season, bet you Brock Purdy ends up being MVP, but that's not what happened. Because we see that all the time in media. And those are the people who are voting. Like if I give you the list of people who are voting and I'm going to, these are people who have made their opinions known. These are not anonymous voters. Here are some of the MVP voters. I'm not going to read you all 50 names, but Emmanuel Acho, Tom Brady, Teddy Bruschi, Charles Davis, Tony Dungy, Boomer Esiason, Doug Farrar, Mike Florio, Rich Gannon, Jonathan Jones, Mina Kimes, Peter King, Pat Kerwan, 
Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus, Dan Orlovsky. These people have made their opinions known. You can go out and find their opinions. And for a significant chunk of them, they believe wins are a quarterback stat. Now, Mina Kimes doesn't. I know that. But as a collective, they believe wins are a quarterback stat. As a collective, in the way that they behave as a 50-person unit. Not necessarily individually, but as a unit. So this should not be a surprising result. Wins. Wins against other MVP candidates. Followed by efficiency. And then raw production. In that order. Wins. Wins against other MVP candidates. Efficiency. Raw production. Josh Allen was the raw production candidate this year. It's the reason why he ended up fifth in MVP voting and not second or third because raw production, which was his card this year, that was the card he had to play. That was the scenario. More touchdowns than anybody by a significant margin. More production, more scoring. But he came in fifth because that's the least important thing of the four things I mentioned. Wins, wins against other MVP candidates, efficiency, and raw production in that order. And the one person who didn't made a fairly significant case, Aaron Schatz, as to why he voted the way that he voted. And Stephen A. Smith called Schatz's voice a stupid homer vote, apparently not realizing or not caring that Schatz is a New England Patriots fan whose publication at the time made significant waves before the 2018 NFL draft. Let me ask you if this phrase rings a bell. Josh Allen is a parody of an NFL quarterback prospect. Sound familiar? It's because it came from the publication where Aaron Schatz was at the time. If anybody can be accused of being a Josh Allen homer, it's not him. You know what they called him? Just nerd. That's what everyone called Aaron Schatz. Ah, nerd. Because he robbed Lamar Jackson of history. MVP voters, like fans overall, think wins are a quarterback stat. Oh, well, you're just, you're a numbers nerd. You're using metrics. You're using metric too. You're just using a worse one. Man, you can't decide on one stat. You decided on one stat. Your one stat was wins. That's what you decided on. If you're handing out an award for raw quarterback production, yards, touchdowns, then it was Josh Allen. If you wanted to make the award about efficiency, then Brock Purdy had a historically efficient season relative to his peers. The only holistic quarterback metric where Brock Purdy was not number one in the NFL in the regular season was PFF grade in which he was number four. That's it. Number one in passer rating, number one in QBR, number one in EPA play, number one in DVOA, Number one in everything else, NEA. That's it. He, historically efficient quarterback play relative to his peers. Now, if you want to try and balance raw quarterback production and then overall offensive production, like how good was the quarterback and how good was the offense they ran, then it would be Dak Prescott. Lamar Jackson is the wins vote. And he, you can't see me, I'm doing air quotes. He beat, doing other air quotes, Brock Purdy. Great quarterback, 
on a team that had the best regular season. That was their go-to standard. Because Lamar Jackson is a great quarterback, and his team did have the best regular season. That's what they went with. But that shouldn't be surprising. I just listed for you seven years in a row now, it has been the quarterback of the team that had the best record in their conference, whether that's AFC or NFC. Seven years in a row. Yes, Lamar Jackson was a little bit of an outlier when it comes to stats, but that's because it was never about the stats. The stats were a secondary item. We have isolated the variable. If every single time you behave a certain way and then we modify one variable and you still behave in that way, we can then determine that whatever it was you modified, that wasn't the reason. In this case, all those other MVP quarterbacks, they all had the stats, but Lamar Jackson didn't have the stats and still won it because it was never about the stats. That's what I'm telling you. What we saw today, you might have thought was out of character, but it wasn't. It was in character. We just failed to accurately recognize what the character was. So we thought something was out of character for the MVP voters, but it wasn't. It was totally in character. It was totally on brand. This is normal for them. So we shouldn't think that it's not. And we should remember this every time moving forward until we see otherwise. We need to understand MVP behavior because it's going to come up a lot with Josh Allen. Why am I spending the time on this? Am I bitter that Josh Allen didn't win MVP? No, I wouldn't have voted for him either. But it's really important because Josh is going to be perpetually an MVP candidate. And we're going to go through this conversation a lot. And we should remember this lesson learned for next time. This is in character. This is on brand. In order for us to know what's out of character, we have to first know what's in character. And what we saw from the MVP voters was in character. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
Questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We are going to get caught up on emails, and then we're going to get out of here. Logan sent me a message and said, hey, Bruce, hope is all is well, and I appreciate your hard work. I have a question about a particular take I've seen floating around Bill's Twitter in the past 24 hours. The take is this. The Bills should load up on defensive talent and players because the Chiefs do. I always interpreted the Chiefs taking defensive players early in the draft as part of an Andy Reid slash front office recognizing they can get more out of less on offense because of Reid being their head coach, so they try to get as much talent defensively as they can. Thank you again for your hard work, and I hope you have a fantastic night. The idea that there's one way to build a Super Bowl team, I don't really love. Here's what you need to know about a Super Bowl team. They have a really good quarterback. That's it. Aside from that, there are lots of different ways to get there. In fact, there are lots of different teams that are the same franchises that got there in different ways. The Patriots won their first Super Bowl and had a game manager, Tom Brady, at the time. He wasn't elite at that time. He was a very much a game manager and got there with a defense that was really solid. Other times... The defense wasn't nearly as good when they won the Super Bowl. Then, Drew Brees won the Super Bowl with a very different team than the Patriots teams. The Eagles and Nick Foles won a Super Bowl with a very different team. It's a one exception to the rule recently when it comes to elite quarterbacks winning Super Bowls. Nick Foles, not an elite quarterback. But this idea that there is a singular way, well, we need to do this because they did this. Patrick Mahomes is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. The idea that you're going to do that when you have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time matched with one of the best head coaches ever. They can do a lot of things and have it work. When you're that good in those positions, quarterback and head coach, there's a lot of different ways you can fiddle with that roster and still win a Super Bowl and still be competitive. It's a little bit like modeling. When you have the right body type, a lot of things look good on you. Let's be honest. There's a lot of clothes that look good on LeBron James that don't look good on many people. But you know what? He's LeBron James. He can pull it off. He's tall. He's muscular. Broad shoulders. He can pull off a lot of stuff that a lot of other people cannot pull off. Because it's LeBron. It's the same thing with this. This idea that, well, I should wear that because it looks good on him. Bro, I don't know if it's going to look good on you. You got to wear the best thing you can for your body type. That's what you got to do. And so the Buffalo Bills need to do that too. So I, I never look at past the, hey, we need to prioritize the right things, right? Passing and stopping the pass is priority number one. Pass the ball, stop the pass. Absolutely. Got to do it on offense. Got to do it on defense. But as far as the specific ways we go about achieving that, well, you know, we're going to take a, a defensive back first and then a wide receiver rather than a wide receiver defensive back. That doesn't matter to me. 
Because this idea that you have to try and carbon copy another example of a team that's not like you, you have a different head coach, you have a different quarterback, you have different rosters. I just don't believe there's a singular fashion. I think when you have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, or you have Tom Brady and Belichick, I think you can do a lot of things and have it work. And so I agree with you. I don't think that's the right approach. Robert says, it just dawned on me that this Bills offseason going into the draft is proof why there's no such thing as a luxury pick or a draft year where you don't have a need. Going into recent drafts, it's really felt like the Bills roster has been pretty much set and it would be hard for draft picks to make the team. We're now living in the opposite world. Safety, defensive line, wide receiver. Would be a good frame of reference on your pod to demonstrate how quickly things change. Yes, I have said this about running back all the time. I have said it multiple times. Those of you who have been listening to my show for a long time will know that you've heard this about taking a running back high. Well, you know, it's a, you know you, you're never good enough. There's no point when your team is good enough to make a luxury pick. None, ever. Every single draft you have to approach seriously without the idea that you're, ah, I can get away with this. I have a luxury pick. I don't believe in luxury picks. Your team is inches away from not being as good as you need it to be every single year. So for me, I think this has come up and it's specifically come up with running back. Now, thankfully, I don't think there will be a clamoring this year to draft a running back in the first round, which is, whew, I am glad that for one year I get a reprieve from that because I don't think it's going to be a significant push this year. In fact, I saw uh, odds makers were talking about the places where Saquon Barkley would land. And for the first time ever, the Bills were not in the top five there. And I was like, oh, goodness gracious. Thank goodness I don't have to deal with that. Because historically, it's always been Bills at the top. And that generates a bunch of conversation. I have to say no. I have to be the no guy. Everybody hates the no guy. But that's the way it is. So I agree with you, Robert. That there is no such thing as a luxury pick. Luxury picks do not exist. Tim sent me an email. He opened it by saying thank you, and I want to say thank you back for the kind words. And he mentioned that one thing that he thought I might have missed in my discussion on the draft is there are a few excellent centers that have also played guard, and that Mitch Morse is aging, some concussions. I think signing someone that can spend a year under him, he means drafting someone, while serving as a backup for all interior positions would be an excellent ad. I agree with you. It depends on how the team feels about Ryan Bates. If the team feels like Ryan Bates will be available to be the starting center of this team in 2025, then you can potentially do that. So I don't know how the team feels about Bates as a starter moving forward. I think I thought that they felt good about him at the right guard position, and then they drafted... Osiris Torrance, but I'm never going to turn down Lyman, especially on day three of the draft. I am never going to turn down Lyman at all. He finished up the email by saying, know that you're appreciated and don't ever stop the pod. So far, no plans to stop the pod. Now, at any time that could change, and I you know, reserve the right to just poof into the ether one day, but so far, I'll keep you, I'll keep you involved. So Thomas sent me an email, asked if I still talk to Nick. Yes, I do talk to Nick still. Occasionally, my former co-host in the Nick and Nolan days. Um, not super often, but I do talk to Nick on occasion. Maybe once a month, maybe a little bit less. He'll send me a text, I'll send him a text, and we'll, we'll just check in, see how things are going. So yes, there's they're still, they're still content there. Dan sent me a thank you email. I just want to let you know that I got it. I read it. I appreciated it very much. I'm really 
really honored and touched that I got multiple thank you emails at the end of the season to thank me for the work that I did and, and, and the content that I made and the fact that you guys were able to connect to it. It really meant a lot to me. Um, James sent me an email and said, once again, as we enter the offseason with the inevitable Stefan Diggs drama flying everywhere, I thought we might avoid this a couple weeks ago when I saw a report flying around that the app formerly known as Twitter from a seemingly reputable source saying Diggs was happy and he would be back for 2024. Brandon Bean also said how they still view Diggs as a number one wide receiver. But after Diggs basically saying that whether he is back is out of his control, we are seeing the Diggs drama flare up. Personally, I won't be shocked if the media stoked this to drive engagement because there's so many people within Bill's Mafia that will engage either to say Diggs out of Buffalo or Diggs isn't going anywhere, in large part due to the Bill's cap crunch and the $31 million in dead cap the Bill's have to deal with if they cut or trade Diggs. This all gets back to when we have a lack of information, we tend to fill in it with what we already felt about a person or situation. So when we see Stephon Diggs yelling in the direction of Josh Allen, people fill in the gap knowing who Diggs was yelling at and what he was yelling about with our preconceived notions we had of Diggs. Or when Diggs missed the first day of mandatory minicamp and we didn't get a full disclosure of what it was about, we fill in the gap. When Stephon is asked about the relationship with Josh and he says that's between him and Josh, we fill in the gap. Personally, I choose to fill in the gaps with what I know. I know the Bills' bad cap situation was made worse if we were to part digs, part ways with Stephon Diggs. I know that Diggs has been top 10 in the NFL in targets and catch every year. I know that Diggs has talked positively about his relationship with Josh, how he wants to retire a Bill. I know Diggs was a team captain. I also know I want the Bills to be better in 2024 than they were in 2023. Unless Stephon Diggs drama helps that happen. So I hope Brendan Bean kills that talk by doing a base salary restructure, which will kill any trade digs talk. Where are you on the topic of restructuring Stefan Diggs? If you want to get out after 2024, don't do that. I'm looking at the 2025, 2026 area for the bills to not have Stefan Diggs on the roster again. I don't think he'll be on the roster when he's 34. I just, that's just rare for those type of things to happen. It has nothing to do with the fact that I don't like Diggs. I don't think he's a good player. I don't think the Bills like him. It's just really, really rare for a receiver that age to be still on the team that he signed a major contract with because usually that contract needs to be dealt with at that point. So it's just unusual for that to happen. So I'm playing the probabilities. So if you wanted to do it, you would look to restructure other people's contracts to do it. So you'd look to extend Taron Johnson. You'd look to restructure Josh Allen and things like that. You wouldn't do it with Diggs if you want to get out next year. I know it would make us feel better. That, okay, well, they're kind of locked in. That's what they did with Von Miller. They restructured his contract, and now they're, they're kind of locked into it. And that's what you do when you restructure a contract. It just makes it more difficult for you to get out in the future. So I personally would not be doing it because I want to keep an eye on Stefan Diggs and see if something actually is happening. If there is a lack of effectiveness next year, if you feel like maybe he might be losing a step, then I want the ability, I want to retain the option, and I don't have the option if I do a restructure. Nick sent me an email. Nick said, Bruce, I've been a big fan ever since I started listening in early 2023. I love when opinions and arguments have logic and data. Your pod this week, he was talking about the correlation pod, gave me a flashback to college algebra I took a few months back. Attached as a final project is submitted for the course. The data is small. So I wanted to point this out that Nick did a correlation 
between QBR, which is the ESPN proprietary quarterback metric, QBR, and team wins. And noted that those two things correlate positively together. It's a correlation between how well your quarterback played and whether you win, which obviously we knew it from a high-level standpoint. The better your quarterback plays, the more chance you have of winning, sure. But seeing it quantified like that is really fun. So I want to let you know, Nick, that I saw it, I read it, it was awesome. David says, there is talk that if Trey is back and we start White or Douglas at cornerback, then it would be a decent idea to shift Benford to safety. But if anything happens to White or Douglas, we'd really want Benford back at cornerback. So here's my question. Can Benford play safety and still be able to shift back to cornerback if an injury comes up? Or is this a case of play one position well rather than two positions poorly? I do not like shifting corners to safety and safety to corner during the season. I don't like it. I think that the spatial awareness takes a long time to unlearn. You see things at a very different distance and a very different angle when you're a safety versus when you're a corner. And that is a huge part of playing that position at a high level is understanding that you're seeing things at a different angle and you're seeing them from a different distance. And so being able to be spatially aware is a huge part of playing corner and playing safety. And it takes time to recalibrate yourself when you move from one to the other. I do not like the idea of switching them in the middle. So if you're going to move somebody there, they're a safety. If you're going to move somebody from safety to corner, they're a corner. doesn't happen very often, but that's the way I feel about it. Joseph says, Almighty take, Andy Reid is the best coach of all time over Belichick. He won on two different teams. He won with McNabb, Smith, Mahomes. Belichick only won with Brady. Brady won when he left. Belichick didn't win when Brady left. I think Joe Gibbs is probably the best coach of all time, to be honest. Um, the amount of winning he did with quarterbacks that were never really super high tier is something that Andy Reid can't say and something that... Bill Belichick can't say. And so I know that it was a different era of football, but generally speaking, that's kind of how I felt about it. Just based on the ability to try to isolate the head coach from the surrounding players, knowing how important quarterback is. And I think I'm waiting Gibbs because I didn't love the quality of his quarterback play overall throughout his tenure in Washington. So for me, I actually think that no, I, I would I would put Andy Reid a top three head coach of all time. I, I'm fine with Andy Reid, Belichick, and Joe Gibbs. Whatever order you wanted to put those in, I would be fine with. Even if you had Joe Gibbs three, I, I can see that argument. I'm fine with that. But my personal view as of this point is it's it's Joe Gibbs. Chris, I want to let you know we got your email, but there's multiple parts to it, so we're gonna try and tackle it next week. And that's it. Folks, we did the thing. I was kind of rushing through. I know I had a lot in the email and comment section. So I tried to make the original opening piece a little bit smaller. So we'd try and fit this in right at 30 minutes and maybe, you know, get a couple seconds over, but eh, sometimes you just, you just understand that that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumbles.